We are still working to minimize the major risks of complications involved in minimally invasive prostatectomy. This becomes even more important as more patients undergo these procedures. How has the training and certification process impacted our success? And what improvements can we expect in this minimally invasive technique for prostate cancer in the years to come? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Jim Hugh, Assistant Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School and Director of Minimally Invasive Urologic Oncology at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. Welcome, Dr. Hugh. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me on ReachMD. We are discussing trends towards laparoscopy for prostate cancer. Dr. Hugh, tell us a little bit about your background. I believe you're one of the few surgeons in the United States who had a fellowship exclusively in robotic surgery. That's right, although I think it's becoming more and more commonplace. I completed a six-year urology residency training program at UCLA and then did a one-year fellowship in robotic urologic oncology at City of Hope in Los Angeles area. And your research that you are involved with, what specifically are you studying? I'm studying outcomes for minimally invasive radical prostatectomy as they compare to open radical prostatectomy. And when I use the term minimally invasive, I mean both laparoscopic as well as robotic-assisted laparoscopic radical prostatectomies. We also looked at the trend and diffusion of the minimally invasive approaches from a period of time from 2003 to 2005. What happens when you're teaching your residents about robotic surgery and they have the instance where they have to open up the patient? Can they handle an open radical prostatectomy as well as someone who has been doing it for 30 years? I think that's certainly a very valid concern and one that a lot of training centers around the country, residency training programs, are facing as as more and more radical prostatectomies are done via the robotic approach. I certainly think that naturally, as less and less people do the open, it'll be a more and more rare event to need to convert to open surgery. However, certainly it may be the case where one needs to consult with a more experienced surgeon if there's a conversion in the future, or in the present day, I should say, going from robotics to open surgery. I don't think that day is upon us yet, but if the trend continues, I I think open surgery will be the exception rather than the rule. These patients who undergo the robotic surgery, how long are they in the hospital? Typically 24 hours. However, I have to be fair and say that there are centers that perform open radical prostatectomy that will discharge their patients in a 24-hour time frame as well. So a lot of physician practice patterns, individual practice styles may dictate length of stay, and it's difficult to just make the generalization that minimally invasive radical prostatectomies will go home sooner than open radical prostatectomies. And generally, how do these patients with robotic surgery do? Generally, they do very well. I'm I'm speaking from personal experience. However, when we also look at what our data showed, however, I think when you look at the experience of all surgeons that are doing minimally invasive radical prostatectomy across the country, our study showed that there is an increased risk for needing other procedures to control the cancer a short period after surgery. So I think that, and furthermore, what our study showed was that increasing surgeon experience 
led to a lower need for such salvage therapies such as radiation or hormonal therapy after surgery for minimally invasive surgeons. If a patient presented to you and needed a prostatic operation for cancer and they said, well, tell me really the, the main reasons I should do a minimally invasive approach, a robotic approach, what would you say? Well, I tell them to try to separate the technique or the sexiness of the approach. In other words, this is a new technology, but try to separate yourself from being wed to new technologies. In other words, the analogies that I always use for them, which may be applicable to a lot of medical professionals who like to play golf, is that if you look at Tiger Woods playing with a golf club from 20 or 30 years ago, would still do much better than me playing with the newest golf club today. I try to make the point that technology is not a substitute for surgical experience. However, I do try to convey to them that the advances in technology, such as laparoscopy or the robotic approach, do lead to potential advantages should the surgeon be able to take advantage of them. And is this general philosophy and understanding felt by all urologists in the United States? I don't think so. I think uh, certainly everyone's somewhat biased towards what they do or what they have to offer, and there certainly are stakeholders, and their positions depend on what they do in terms of how many radical prostatectomies they perform open versus via a robotic or a laparoscopic approach. I think that if you spoke to most people in leadership positions around the country who are chairman of respective departments, those individuals tend to be the open radical prostatectomy surgeons and hence may not have been an early adopter to laparoscopic or robotic radical prostatectomy. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Jim Hugh, Assistant Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School and Director of Minimally Invasive Urologic Oncology at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. We are discussing trends towards laparoscopy for prostate cancer. Dr. Hugh, you had a fellowship specifically in robotic surgery. What does the practicing urologist do if they want to learn the robotic approach? Currently, the Food and Drug Administration requires a surgeon or a urologist who's interested in offering robotic radical prostatectomies to take a two-day course, and and that's the the mandate. Now, after the two-day course, oftentimes a surgeon will have proctoring from other surgeons who've done robotics, uh, a robotic prostatectomy, and so they'll book a case and have a proctor that may just direct them through the case, giving them feedback, or else at times, should they require or are called upon to intervene, they can jump on the surgeon console and get them out of trouble. So realistically, and that's the current state of affairs for the training of practicing surgeons in terms of adoption of robotic radical prostatectomy. Well, what if you're in an area of the country, in a uh, rural area, where there are no proficient uh, robotic operators? I think certainly as a patient, and I, I say this all the time to patients, if you're in an area where there's not an experienced robotic surgeon, you have to look at what your long-term goals of therapy are. And, and that is, again, to cure the cancer, to remain continent, and to remain potent. And if those are your primary goals, rather than to have surgery done with the latest and the greatest technology or getting out of the hospital a day sooner, then you have to go to someone who has a lot of experience doing open surgery in that rural area. Are the hospitals having standardized credentialing parameters, or is this based really individually on each hospital? I think each hospital certainly looks at whether or not the surgeon has done the two-day course, but I think that there is 
a great deal of variability in what the surgeon experience should be before they go out and book cases on their own or do things without a proctor. Um, I think, again, the autonomy that surgeons enjoy in this country probably have a great deal to do with that, as well as the fact that a lot of hospitals are eager to recoup their fixed costs on a, on a very expensive rather a very expensive piece of capital equipment. So I think that there's and certainly enthusiasm from a hospital administrator who's recently plopped down $1.7 million to get some return on their investment. Are these procedures being done in other countries? Yes, they are. I think that initially a great deal of the volume came from the United States, but when you look at the installation of robotic systems across the globe, in Europe there's certainly been a lot of da Vinci robots that have been installed, as well as in Asian countries as well. But I think that because of the more free market economy of the United States, we've been the most rapid adopter of robotics. We've been the most free-spending, certainly, in that instance. And I think in other healthcare systems where cost or care is a bit more rationed than here and things are a bit more planned, there's been slower adoption of robotic surgery. I hate to bring up remuneration, but do all insurance companies cover robotic surgery for prostatic cancer? I don't think that really the payers reimburse to a greater extent a robotic surgery versus an open surgery in general. However, I think that the reimbursement for a, just on the surgeon side, for a laparoscopic or robotic surgery based on what Medicare will reimburse is roughly about $150 more than for an open radical prostatectomy. So at least at the surgeon fee level, you're not seeing a significant difference in reimbursement. And on the hospital level, again, I don't think that there's a significant difference either. I think that a lot of hospitals are trying to charge a facility fee as well in terms of the robotics, but it's variable in terms of how successful they are in getting the payer to remunerate based on that facility fee. So if I'm a urologist who has been taking out prostates for a million years and good at it, and I'm at a small hospital in the country, and I call you up and I say, Dr. Hugh, I really uh, would like to start doing the robotic surgery, and our hospital's thinking of getting one, but there's no one for 200 miles around who's done robotic surgery, what would you say to this urologic surgeon? I'd say that as with adoption of any approach or achieving excellence in anything you do, it's a matter of commitment. And in this case, without any supporting surgeons close by or anyone that one could easily go watch, certainly there exists a lot of DVDs or videos now of robotic surgeries and of high-volume robotic surgeons that the device manufacturer actually makes readily available. So I think studying those videos will help a great deal. There's also the option of doing a mini-fellowship in minimally invasive surgery or robotics that some centers offer around the country, which is about one week of dedicated exposure to the robot and robotic-assisted surgery. So I think those would be the main options in terms of someone who's looking to have greater exposure to robotics. And what about uh, in the future? Perhaps I'm doing a robotic surgery in a small town, and I video conference you in Boston and have you look in through the electronic marvels and actually see what I'm doing and advise me. Is that feasible? That's a very interesting point, Mark. The original intent of the Da Vinci robot, and it was actually developed with a lot of money from the Department of Defense, but the original intent was for the surgeon to be far away from the battlefield and then using a high-speed internet connection to have the slave device robot to operate on a a wounded soldier there closer to the battlefront. 
And so as our technology continues to improve, I think that there's opportunities for an experienced robotic surgeon not only to teleconference in, but also to have a form of proctoring whereby he may be able to take over controls over high-speed internet connections from far distances. And finally, 10 years from now, looking in your crystal ball, how many prostate surgeries are going to be done robotically? Well, I think that there are several issues. Number one, I think honestly, we probably overoperate on men with prostate cancer. So hopefully we'll have a better marker that allow us to have better predictive ability in terms of who really needs the surgery. But as far as people getting the surgery go, I think that it'll be close to 95 or 100 percent of men having robotic-assisted laparoscopic surgeries compared to an open radical prostatectomy. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jim Hugh. We've been discussing trends towards laparoscopy for prostate cancer. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.